0: Inside 20. For those who desire to hunt close. It's brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Big Jim Bow Company. Gunshy Archery. Vantage Point Archery. Custom King Traditional Archery. Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared during each podcast The beliefs of Inside 20 Associates and the guests participating.
1: 2023 Central Zone Spring Hunt is right around the corner. It's going to be at Tuckahoe WMA, April 20th through the 23rd. There's free camping, hot showers, and toilets that flush. Since this will be Buck Ernest's last hosted hunt as our Central Zone rep, he will be holding a special prize giveaway that's valued at $400, but you got to be present to win. So make sure you put this on your calendars. This is a 15,000-acre property that has a good population of turkeys and pigs, so you can kill two birds with one stone on this hunt. It's become an annual event since 2019, and it usually is well-attended by TBG members. So you've got to RSVP to buck himself. you got an Instagram, message him directly. Instagram is at E R N S T B U C K.
2: Walking towards me, just grunting with every step, Drew, you know, coming out of his mouth, and his eyes were rolling back in his head. I can vividly remember it.
1: We have got an exciting episode for you tonight, guys. Not only do we have a pretty special guest, got Tim back on the mic. I know it has been a while since you've heard from Tim. He has had a busy season as we like to say with family and work full time and then back in school full time. He's just trying to keep everything above the water. So we were thrilled to hear when he said he had a few minutes to join us. So yarn for a treat, be ready for some good content. Tonight's guest is currently the president of Compton Traditional Archery, a man that has been selfless with his time for the traditional bow hunting community and it has a trophy room that would impress any hunter we would like to welcome Mr. Brian Burkhart. How you doing tonight, Brian?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much, Brian. So tonight the topics we'd really like to cover, you are a moose hunting fanatic is what we hear. So that's really something we wanna talk about. And then in cadence with that, you're the type of guy that has been out in the back country for a long time. That's something that we hadn't really discussed uh, with any of our other guests. And so we wanna dive deep into that and then just how you function and just stories and trips uh, that you've experienced during those hunts during those like those special hunts that you've been on sounds great but first before we get into the really good stuff we want to ask you tell us about yourself where you're from and then how long have you been hunting traditional now
2: so I uh, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in Michigan and I've lived here most of my life. I lived in uh, Franklin, Tennessee for five and a half years when I was a plant manager at Saturn. But uh, outside of that, I've lived in Michigan my entire life. And I, have you know, I've been bow hunting for 48 years and I shot my first deer on the ground with a bear Kodak Magnum. And then I went to a compound for, you know, a couple of years. So 46 out of the 48 years I've been hunting with traditional equipment.
1: It's amazing. That's a great story. I know not many people currently have that ability to be able to say they have stuck with it for that long. Uh, so that's a feat in itself. So really what exactly got you into the traditional world in general?
2: Well, I was really fortunate. My uh, father was an avid uh, traditional bow hunter, and so I grew up with it. and i I grew up with four brothers that all shot you know recurves, and they've most of them have migrated to compounds now, but uh, but I grew up in a family where the focus you know of our vacations and everything else was around, you know traditional bow hunting and i remember you know going up north with all my brothers and my dad and uh you know, whitetail hunting in north in northern michigan and uh, so just kind of grew up with it and i know a lot of people don't have that benefit but i did and uh, you know one of the things that we would always do on our treks to northern michigan is we'd stop at the fredbear museum and in Grayland, Michigan, when it was there. And sometimes Fred would be there and we'd actually get to see him. And, and he, he was really, Fred, was, my dad was my mentor and taught me how to you know, shoot and taught me how to bow hunt. But Fred was my childhood hero. And see, you know, walking into the museum, seeing all the trophies and seeing his latest uh, film, they had a small theater up in the, in the museum and seeing his latest adventure was just really inspiring to me. And, and I, I yearned as a, as a young guy to, you know, do those type of adventures and never in my, in my mind did I think I'd be able to do it, but, um, but he was my inspiration for going to Alaska. That's for sure.
1: I love it. He has inspired so many people. To pick up a stick bow and then to stick with it and just uh, the drive to you know continue to find success.
2: Yeah, and I still uh, you know I shoot bear equipment to this day. It's just you know I've got got a bunch of custom you know long bows and recurves as well. So I've got probably way too many bows, but but there's something about carrying on that legacy of Fred Bear that's really important to me. So. I've got a pretty good stable of uh, bear bows.
1: So what is your favorite bow that you've got real quick? And can you share a little bit of meaning behind that? Why it's your favorite?
2: Well, uh, i trying to think if I've got a favorite. I mean, the bow, I t- my typical go-to bow is a bear custom Kodiak takedown because I travel so much. So I need the convenience of, you know, of, using it for travel and being able to break it down, but, um, I'm trying to think I've got over a hundred, you know, bear bows. So trying to pick out a favorite, they all are pretty special. I've got the Fred bear signature takedown. And I guess if you, uh, if you had to pick one, that's, that's probably one that's the most meaningful just because there were, you know, not very many made and, and, uh, you know, Fred signed each one. So,
1: Wow well that's I'll tell you this that wasn't really a a fair question because I honestly couldn't say what my favorite bow is and my collection does not stand uh, near that of yours but I know that that has taken years to uh, be able to acquire those and you know that is uh, I don't think you can ever have too many bows you said that earlier but it's a special
2: I guess I'm not a collector so I you know I I'd say 95% of them are used for, for hunting. You know, I've got a few collectors like the signature takedown and I've got an A handle where they only made 12 of them. And, um, so I I do have a few collectors, but the majority of them are really focused on, you know, taking them out and, and hunting, just like Fred did.
1: That's awesome. I love it. What do you do professionally?
2: Well, I uh, actually, I was an executive for GM and I retired five years ago. So I retired when I was 55. I just, just turned 60 and um, you know, I had a a bunch of different assignments, you know, within GM, but my goal was always to retire early so I could hunt more. (laughs) So I was, I was blessed and fortunate to, you know, retire at 55 and I, I do, you know, right now I'm I'm the president of Compton, so that takes up quite a bit of time. And then I'm also um, the executive director for an automotive logistics organization that represents all the major automakers. So, you know, I'm still in, in the industry, if you will, but uh, I don't have nearly the stress or the emails that I used to.
1: Congratulations on that. It's a big goal to achieve it. Being able to retire at early age, I know many sought to do that in, in their professional careers, and some were successful, and I, I'm right there with you. I think if I had a goal to be able to retire early, it would definitely be uh, to spend more time in the woods, so congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. What is your favorite animal to hunt?
2: Well, that one's easy for me. It's, it's definitely moose, so I went on my first moose hunt. It was actually a guided hunt in the Yukon in 2006 and I ended up not getting a, a bull on that trip but then I went to Alaska in 2008 and I've gone every year since so it's just you know there's something about how big a moose is where it lives how dangerous it can be that makes uh, that my definitely my favorite animal to hunt and, and it and when you get one it is the best table fare. So I haven't had I haven't had sheep. I hear a lot of guys talk about how great sheep is, but um, I've yet to have an animal that tops moose in terms of flavor.
1: Well, I'll say I'm selfish for asking that question because I actually got the privilege to go on my first big game hunt uh, that was one that I'd planned, kind of a bucket list trip for me. I went to Newfoundland. Canada on a moose hunt this past year was out there for nine days with an outfitter and it was a flying camp I uh, got to experience uh, everything that I've heard moose uh, hunts to be unfortunately we we didn't have good weather and we were kind of at the end of the season um, there were some other dynamics behind that so we we're, were not successful in bringing a moose in uh, to, to bow range but it was pretty neat there was some cold mornings and you would sit there, and we could probably glass—I don't know—probably I'd say close to a thousand, two thousand yards across to this other ridge, um, and we had actually got on uh, two bulls, and then about I think it was three cows. And the the neatest thing that I had experienced on that hunt was that morning—it was real cold, and it was the sun was just coming up, so obviously there was, there was steam and we're sitting there and you could see the moose right through the binoculars but you couldn't see them with your naked eye even when they'd get out there in this open uh, out of this kind of this uh, this brushy area in this open terrain type real real low to the ground where you can see their whole body for the binoculars but then they would go up in these trees and at a certain point in the morning uh, this bull got with two of the cows and they were all standing there and it looked like a forest fire like somebody had a bonfire going across with the naked eye all the way across that far that that other ridge and to me that was just fascinating to be able to see that and realize that that's how big you know they are and I, I think the closest we got we called in a small spike to about 200 yards but i think something just went, wasn't right didn't go uh in, in our favor we ended up i think getting winded is what we kind of thought shot some ptarmigan uh while i was on that trip but not did not get to shoot a moose and so i would say i will definitely be back i don't know where that would be uh, in the future but it's addicting i can see it, and even not being successful how why it's so much fun and why you go go year after year and it's your number one thing to hunt
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where every year I go, I in the back of my mind, I fully expect that I'm going to get a moose. But, you know, I've I've gone on I've gone the last 15 consecutive years and, uh, and I've taken seven moose. So, you know, more than half the time I'm coming home empty handed. But at the end of the day, I'm really not because I've got all those memories. I've got that adventure you know, I've got that experience that uh, just, yeah, you know, I'm so fortunate and blessed to to have. You know, and and um, is one of those things when I started moose hunting, when I first went to Alaska after my first moose hunt, and that was 2008. I um, pilot said, "Hey, I know you didn't get a moose, but did you have a good time?" I'm like, "I had a phenomenal time." Book me through 2020. And I've recently told them to book me through 2030 and hopefully, you know, way beyond that. But uh, yeah, it's just, I, I can't get enough of it. It's just, you know, the solitude and again, where they live and how big they are and, and everything just makes them pretty cool animals to hunt.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. They're majestic definitely can see why you you've got the uh, the taste of addiction uh in, in just in your veins to go back again and again so what are your top if you had to give somebody advice uh when you're successful hunts what do you think the top three strategies or the top strategies are when you're hunting with a stick bow for a moose specifically
2: well i, I would say you know one one key and it really depends on where you're hunting but where i hunt I'm hunting a river valley system. So there's mountains on on both sides of that, and you've got the river running through the middle. So I like to get on uh, on the side of the mountain to get elevation for glassing and for calling. So, you know, your voice can carry in a valley a long ways, and, you know, you can see a bull moves walking through the valley, you know, a long ways away and then make your move. So I would say, you know, to the extent you can get some elevation for glassing and, and being able to have that visual advantage is really pretty important. And then I'd say an, another thing, and this is where I've kind of matured over the years is really understanding a moose's behavior and whether or not to be aggressive in your in your approach or non-aggressive. So it's one of those where like early on in the hunts, a lot of times the moose are just not cranked up yet. You know, they're curious, they're walking around, but they don't want to fight, you know? So you've got to kind of what I'd call sense and respond, just kind of gauge the animal's behavior and and what tactic is going to work. Is pulling out a, um, you know, a fake antler and going after the bull and being aggressive going to work? Or is cow calling and kind of trying to stay hidden? Going to be more effective. So it's it's one of those things that you know the more you do it, the more you learn the the moose behavior. But um, you know, trying to understand whether or not to be aggressive or non-aggressive and adapting based on what you're seeing, you know, with the moose is a, another pretty important thing. And then I think you know the third thing that um, is really moose they they've got great hearing and they've got better than most people think eyesight. And when you call call a moose, they can pinpoint, you know, to a tree or a bush where that noise came from. And if they're looking and they don't see another moose, they can hang up or lose interest and walk off. So, you know, I like having a fake antler to use as a visual. So if you're behind a bush, you can just flash a fake antler. And, you know, that really helps to bring a moose into into stick bow range. And my favorite my favorite approach is if I if I can find a bull that's hanging around a cow and I can get in close where he doesn't see me. And let's say I'm within 50 yards and then all of a sudden I grunt and I show that fake antler. I mean to me, he is going to defend that cow and he you know you're gonna you're gonna be in for an adventure because uh you know he's he's typically gonna come come after you. So Anyway, those are, I guess, would be the three that I would recommend to somebody that wanted to moose hunt.
1: Those are great. I've heard some things similar to that when we were doing research as we, you know, got ready for our trip. Even though we were going with some guides, I'll ask a question about uh, your your setup for when you're glassing on top of these hills. Uh, is this specific, like, to binoculars? You're using a spotting scope, or all the above is there specific? uh, brands that you, you like to utilize that you've used in the past, what's your go-to?
2: Well, I, I use Swarovski, uh, binoculars and, you know, I, I've put them on a tripod before. I don't, uh, where I'm hunting, I really don't see the need to use a, tri- or to use a spotting scope. So I'm just using binoculars. And then typically what I'll try to do is I'll just watch the moose and I'll try to, you know, see directionally which way they're traveling, and are they headed towards the back of the valley, or are they going to come closer? You know, to to my side of the valley. And every moose I see, I don't go after. You know, it it's you kind of make a judgment call on, hey, this one's going to be, I, I can get in front of it. You know, this one's going to be in a position where I can make a stalk, and uh, and then go after it. And what's really What's really unique is when you're up on the side of the mountain, everything is open. I mean, the valley looks totally open. But once you get, you know, where I go, you have to go down the mountainside, cross the river, and once you're in the valley, you lose all perspective. I mean, it's thick, everything's over your head, and it's very difficult to see. So you you need to be fairly calculated on, you know, where you're going to make a stock and what the right opportunity is because once you get down into the valley you know it, it's really tough to see and you you rely then more on you know calling and and uh trying to sneak in after you hear them grunting or, or breaking brush
1: yeah, that terrain sounds very similar to what we had in canada and it's funny you look at it when you're you're up on this hill and you think oh i can blow through that super quick and it is a nightmare a tangled mess trying to get through that and you think that you can do it, and but to see those moose come to you when they're coming to the call, and how quick they can cover ground. The guys that we were with, they're like, "Just wait, he'll be here in any minute." And you're thinking to yourself, "There's no way that moose is over a thousand yards away, and he's got to cross, you know, two small little valleys, so to speak, to come to us." And next thing you know, he pops up over the ridge. And I, it was—I know I haven't had any experiences, but it—it uh, it was shocking how
2: quick they covered that ground. Oh yeah, I mean they've their their stride is so so long and that's that's again what makes it tough. If you can see a moose and go ahead and make your move, but they're moving and then, you know, they're not in the same spot they were when you saw them when you're up on the side of the mountainside. So that, that's what makes it challenging, but you know, if you can, you know, to your point, if you can call a moose close to the airstrip <laughs> and be able to put an arrow in them right by the airstrip that's that's as good as it gets so you know you're you're better off letting them do the work in terms of walking towards you versus you walking towards them but you
3: know sometimes you have to go for it as
2: well that's great advice
3: so so brian i have a i have a question for you when you talked about getting a moose in range me and mike we we haven't had the opportunity yet to to go moose hunting but what is what is your, your range with a stick bow when you're out there hunting those giant animals?
2: Well, you,
3: you know, I'll, I'll tell you,
2: I've killed a moose as close as 10 yards, and I've killed one at 35 yards. And, and I'll tell you, the one that I shot at 35 yards, I thought it was 25 yards away. I, I shot across the river. It was, I actually saw it making a rut pit right by the uh, airstrip. I was on my way in for the evening, back headed back to camp and I saw him making a rut pit. I called him over to the to the edge of the river and I shot. And I thought thought it was 25 yards. My fir- first shot went right under his chest. Um, you know, perfect alignment but just under his chest and then he he jumped and moved a couple steps and then I put an arrow right in his chest and and the next day I walked it off and it was 35 yards and I typically don't shoot over 25 yards, but I would say my, you know, the, the range I'm comfortable with is, you know, 25 yards and it can depend on the animal, you know, you know, what kind of animal you're hunting and, and the behavior of that animal, are they spooked? Are they very comfortable? You know, there's a lot of variables that come into play, but I would say in general, you know, my my effective range is 25 yards.
3: So how did you, how did you get a moose into 10 yards? How does, how did that go down? I mean, cause that seems that's, that's really close for, for any animal.
2: Yeah. It's uh, one of those things where I was, um, I was calling and all this, it, this was a morning and I got on this little knob and I was calling and I immediately got a, a, a grunt a response from a bull that wasn't that far away. And all of a sudden he just started breaking brush. And, you know, I I just could hear all this, you know, he was raking, raking, uh, you know, blueberry bushes and he was snapping off, you know, willow and just making a bunch of noise and it kept getting closer and closer. And so I got behind the spruce and I was kind of tucked in this elbow and he kept coming on a string. And then all of a sudden I just saw his palms and again, I could see him snapping the tops of these spruce trees off. I mean, he was just—he was just really aggressive. I could see him drooling, walking towards me, just grunting with every step. Drool. He got about fifteen yards away, and I—you know—I was putting tension on the string. And then he got closer, and he got ten yards away, and I was just waiting for that front leg to move forward. And as soon as he did. You know, I pulled back and shot, and uh, he went about 80 yards, but made a great shot right beyond the shoulder, and uh, it was just just a
3: really cool moment. But
2: uh, calling yeah. is how how I got that bull into, into 10 yards.
3: Man, that sounds like an adrenaline pump right there.
2: But I would I would tell you the here, here's a here's another example of where I got a bull in a lot closer than that and never got a shot. So I, I was on the side of the mountainside uh, glassing, and all of a sudden I saw, and this was day one of, of the hunt, and I saw two bulls fighting. And they were just, you know, I don't think they were, you know, like fighting for the death, but they were sparring. And so I made a beeline down the mountain, crossed the river, and I was sneaking in, and all of a sudden, you know, I couldn't hear them fighting anymore. But um, when they were when they were fighting, from the side of the mountainside, I, it sounded like guys just taking two-by-fours and smacking them together. I mean, it was it was pretty intense. But uh, anyway, I got in there, and I'm walking towards where I heard them fighting. And then all of a sudden, I saw one of the bulls go across the river and work his way up the mountainside. And I'm like, man, where's the other bull? And then all of a sudden, I heard a grunt, and he's coming right at me and coming right towards me, and I knelt behind this uh, willow bush, and this guy got five yards away from me, and I'm, I mean, he's just towering over me, and I'm in this path, I'm, in, I'm on a moose trail, and uh, behind this willow bush, and all of a sudden, you know, he stopped, and he knew something wasn't right, and I'm just waiting for him to turn one way or the other, so I can, you know, I was shooting a longbow at the time, that, that I could pull back my longbow and get an arrow into his chest, and he just did a one eighty and walked straight in, straight away out of my life. But, you know, having a having a sixteen hundred pound bull moose that's cranked up five yards away, towering over you is something that you will not soon forget, and that was pretty exciting.
3: Yeah, that's got to be a daunting feeling. What um. What what kind of arrow setup are you are you going with when you go out there to hunt those moose? I
2: like wood arrows, so I uh, I get my arrows from Sherwood shafts, and then I typically make my own. Um, last couple of years, I've shot uh, arrows from uh, True North arrows, which you know they again they're dug fur Sherwood shafts, but um, anyway. I like wood arrows. They're about 650 to 700 grains, and I've shot a variety of broadheads, primarily eclipse broadheads, and then bear razorheads, and so that's what I'm shooting now is vintage bear razorheads, and then they just came out with a new one, and so I shot a moose with that with the new bear razorhead last year.
3: Yeah, I've seen those new bear razorheads. They look they look cool. I haven't I haven't tried them yet, but yeah, they look like they would perform well.
2: Yeah, I've killed. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. I've killed killed a moose, killed killed a hog, killed a couple deer. I'm trying to think what else. But you know, with the new ones, and and you know, I, I like them. They hold a hold a good edge. And what I like is they're you know stainless steel. So like when I hunt Kodiak Island, when you get so much rain. Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to using them there. It's I think it's also cool just using the old vintage bear razor heads, you know. And it it again, I would these things are how old? And they in fact 2019 I shot a bull uh, with a vintage bear razor head and arrows that Suzanne St. Charles made for what uh, my hunting partner and I, uh, Jim Echo called the tribute hunt. And I shot clear through a bull. You know with a wood arrow and a vintage bear razor head pretty cool
1: And yeah, those vintage heads they work I know some people knock them uh, just from the standpoint of when you hit bone if they'll curl up on the end and I've seen that happen I shot a turkey in the breast once and it curled up but I will tell you this if you don't and you put it where it's supposed to go and they're sharp they're easy to sharp sharp yeah. and they will kill whatever it is you send it through absolutely i love them and if you can find them they're not too pricey either you get a bunch of them you sharpen them real quick they're easy to use they're not making any more of them
2: there's something about
1: it on head too
2: yeah we just had the compton big game classic and uh, we had a traditional classic archery trade show in conjunction with it so it's kind of like think of it like a trade blanket where you have a bunch of vintage you know, vendors there, and uh, I was able to secure quite a few more vintage bear razorheads at that show, so I'm always looking for for uh, bear razorheads in really good shape.
1: Sounds like a great time. What is your favorite moose hunt that you've been on? You shared a few already, but can you tell us your favorite one and tell us about the hunt? Just go through the whole story.
2: I, I really struggle with these favorite questions because each one you know at the time in the moment is you know so meaningful you know i just like the my first moose uh, in 2009 was you know it was pretty cool and you know on that hunt i killed a caribou and a moose so you know that one's special the i had one in 2016 that was probably the most challenging from a stock standpoint and the most exciting because I got charged twice by a bull. Um, so that one's pretty meaningful. And then that 2019, we did the tribute hunt, you know, honoring Fred Bear and Glen St. Charles and paying tribute to them. So that one was pretty cool. But I, I, would, say, I would say probably my favorite moose hunt and one where, you know, the most challenging and exciting was that 2016 one where, or I got charged twice by a bull moose after making a stalk over a mile away.
1: Can you tell us about that day, <clears throat> high level? Yeah, how that went?
2: Yeah, yeah, I definitely can. So uh, I was hunting with Monty Browning, and we were in camp, and I I kept telling Monty. So we'd hunt separate, and then we'd meet back at camp at night, you know, and share stories around the campfire. And we we're sitting around the campfire, and and he's like. So, uh, how did they go, buddy? And I said, well, Monty, I keep seeing this bull come out with this cow, and this cow will just be feeding, and this bull will just bed down. But they're like a mile or a mile and a half away. And um, if you've ever packed out a moose, you know, you've got 10 loads, you know. And so, that, that's a long day. But I, I said, Monty, you know what? If I see him come out again, then I think I'm gonna go after him. And he's like, "You'll never find that bull if he's a mile away." And I'm like, well, there's a little, little stream inlet. I think if I can follow that, i'll uh, I'll be able to locate him. So anyway, the next uh, the next evening, I was out on my glassing spot on the side of the mountain, and all of a sudden I see the bull, same bull came out with this cow. And, and there was a paddle horn that came out too. And I'd, I'd seen this bull over the course of the previous, you know, days charge off other bulls. So I knew he was pretty aggressive. So that was, you know, that was in the back of my mind, but, you know, I saw him come out, they were both feeding and then he bedded down and then she kept feeding. And then I watched him, you know, run off a paddle horn bull. And I decided to bail off the mountain and go across the river and make my stock. So I, I found this little water inlet that kind of, you know, I could walk the edge on. And a mile up, all of a sudden, I, I was getting into this thicker spruce. And I knew that's where they were. And they were, in this, they were in this opening just in front of this thicker spruce. So I got there. And all of a sudden, I saw a bull. But it was this panel horn. And I'm like, "There's no way this big guy let this paddle horn have his cow." And then i I spotted the cow. So I was a little confused. I'm like, "What is going on here? Where's that big guy? Well, um, i I kept walking, and then all of a sudden I looked to my left, and I just saw the big guy just bedded there. I just saw these big, huge palms, you know on the top of this guy's head. And uh, anyway, I'm like, well, Here we go, it's showtime. So I I took out my fake antler and I knocked an arrow and I just started rocking and walking towards the bull. And as soon as he saw that fake antler, he just got up and just started rocking his antlers. I I call it the trance dance, but they kind of go into this trance and they just rock their antlers back and forth, posturing to say, You really don't want to, you know, take me on because I'm gonna I'm gonna take you out. And
0: Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more info. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at BigJimBowCompany.com. Gunshy Archery. The perfect custom-made quiver for both 2- and 3-blade broadheads. Check them out at GunShyArchery.com VPA Broadheads Precision Machine One Piece Broadheads 2- and 3-blade models available. Check them out at VPArchery.com Custom King Traditional Archery The best prices on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. That's custom with a K. Triple T Strings creates champion-level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook.
2: So the cow, she was just looking like, what the heck's going on in the in bo- the small paddle horn? He's just looking too, saying you know, we got an intruder here and we're getting ready to see a fight. And all of a sudden this bull was about uh, 30 yards away. And I tried—I kept trying to move around to get broadside and he would always square off. So he- all I had was a frontal you know, angle and I wasn't going to take that shot. And then all of a sudden at 30 yards, he just like went and came running right at me. And he put his antlers down. And it looked like a high speed speed bulldozer coming after me, and I'm like, "Oh, this is not good." I mean, it just it, everything goes in like slow motion, but it was. I knew this was this was trouble. And then at 20 yards, he stopped and he started rocking again, and he rocked enough where he opened up his chest, and I was able to get an arrow in his chest. And typically, when you shoot them, they run off. This guy growled again. And ran at me and at about ten yards he just started, you know, like rocking and then ran off and uh and then he ended up dying, you know, from that from that one arrow. But there was nothing to get behind. It was in an open area, so there was no it was just brush. So there were no trees or anything else. Uh and I honestly thought I was a dead man when that bull came running after me.
1: Oh my goodness. What a hunt. Wow! Yeah.
2: yeah, it was pretty exciting. And then, you know, coming back telling Monty, you know, we I shot the bull in the in the evening, came back to camp, and Mani's like, How'd you do, buddy? And I'm like, Well, I saw that bull again. He's like, Did you go after him? I'm like, Yep. He's a dead bull, Monty. He's like amazing. (laughs) So it was pretty cool sharing that memory with Monty. And we went out the next morning and, uh, you know, Monty actually walked right up on the bull and it was a pretty special moment in the Alaska wilderness.
1: Imagine if you had footage of that, like a GoPro on your head, first person view, how neat that would have been. You had to tell him for sure you share with Monty that he came after you.
2: Yeah. You know, and I, I do have a GoPro and, and it's one of those things where. I would love to have some of this footage, and I, i've got I've got some footage from twenty seventeen where I shot a bull. But um, but at the end of the day, I guess it always for me it comes down to, you know, I'm there to hunt and then enjoy that moment, and I I really don't care about the footage. And you know, afterwards, I I always wish I would have some footage because it'd be really cool. But you know, I, I do have those memories, and they're pretty vivid. So. It's uh, it's a constant reel that goes through my mind.
1: Well, I felt like I was reliving it as you were telling that story, and it is a lot to try to take camera gear into the woods and think about that, especially if you're going out on these long extended hunts out in the backcountry like you're doing. But that was a great story. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah. Just got to clarify. So you took a, a quartering two or a straight frontal shot on that bull.
2: No, 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 no! I would never take a frontal shot on a bull. This, when the when they go into what I call the trance and they rock their antlers, they will their whole body. They'll move their their head and then they'll actually open up their body. So I'd say it wasn't a completely broad side shot, um, so slightly quartering too, um, but but yeah, I, I would never take a, a frontal shot on a moose even like that one at i had at 5 yards you know i could have probably pulled my bow back and and shot that moose but i don't know if you've ever seen the the video of dwight shoe when he was shooting a, i think a compound but he shot a bull and that bull put his head down and almost ran right over the top of him but you know if they if they see where the sense of that danger comes from they're coming after you so no i, I wouldn't i wouldn't take a frontal shot on a moose
0: Fair enough, yeah. Intense uh, story, and and I can only imagine what a big bull moose like that looks like, you know, up close and personal, um, and, and to go that far out to, to, you know, for just a chance, you know. So, let me ask you this. You went out there and succeeded at what you, you went out to do. You have to pack this, this moose out. You know, uh, all things considered, what would you say is the, the most important piece of of gear or kit that you take with you into the backcountry?
2: Well, I mean, it, there's so many different facets. I mean, there's the you've got all the camp stuff that is pretty important because that's that's where you live and that's where you're going to survive. Um, and then you've got you know you get things like. I take I take an inreach system so I can contact the pilot when I get a moose down so he can get the meat out of there hopefully you know before we have bear issues so there's there's you know there's different things I, I would say from a camp standpoint you know get getting a good night's sleep is really important so I've got a a little cot it's called a luxury light I think Thermarest bought them out now but it gets you like three inches off the ground. And that's pretty pretty important. And having a good sleeping bag, you know, is pretty important. But um, you know, I, I'd say from a hunting from a hunting standpoint, you know, it's I like to keep things simple. You know, just a simple stick and string. And and uh, you know, like I said, I've got the fake antler that I think is really an advantage to use. You know, from a from a tactic standpoint. You know, in in combination with calling and everything else, but um, and then I'd I'd say probably the in reach is really important relative to being able to connect with the pilot. I I'd say this year I have made a commitment this year. So I was I was on a pig hunt with Monty and some friends in South Carolina earlier this year, and we were they had a Bible study every morning. You know, before we'd go out hunting, and One of the guys on the hunt, his name's Phil Knox, he's from South Carolina, and he said, Brian, have you ever read the entire Bible? I said, I've read so many Bible verses, but honestly, I have not read the entire Bible from front front to back, and I said, but I'm willing to, and he said, will you commit to doing that? I said, absolutely, I'll do it and so I've been on that, I've been on that journey this year, and so the, probably the most important thing that I'll be taking in the backcountry, you know, this year will be my Bible.
3: Amen, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's That's a phenomenal answer, that's a, (laughs) yeah, that is a (laughs)
3: great answer.
0: I know, you know, once you get to the the level that you're at, you've experienced, you know, these places you're going to, that, um, that, anxiety that, that might accompany a new hunter to you know on, a, on their first or second outing it probably you know uh probably isn't with you as much it might be to, to some small degree but you could you know do the same job with less and, and you i feel like you uh whittle that down to the bare essentials as you you know mature as a hunter and an outdoorsman um, you mentioned you know your shelter your 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 you know, having a good night's sleep uh, is is a very important thing to you. Uh, what would you say the best shelter or tent? Uh, and i'll I'll actually throw in there hammock if you I'm not sure what sleep system you use, but you know what uh, ever shelter or sleep system you use, what do you think is the best? and then um, especially for the longer hunt? So does it vary for you know if you're going on on a shorter hunt as opposed to maybe a, a seven plus day hunt?
2: Well, you know I you know, weight is a real consideration when you go on these hunts, like when you're going into a super cub flying into the bush, you're limited to 50 to 75 pounds. And that includes your food and everything else, your hunting equipment. So it, it's one of those things where weight is a real consideration. So what I've been using is a, uh, a sill nylon teepee. And I use an eight man teepee with a titanium wood stove. And that you know, it's floorless, so it's like parachute material. So it's super light, but it's windproof, waterproof. And then with the titanium wood stove that basically folds down to like the size of a laptop, you know, you've got the comfort to be able to, you know, dry out gear if if you r- get into a bunch of rain, etc. cetera. So f- for me, the eight man teepee has been like extremely comfortable. You can stand up to get dressed you know, Monty, he, he stays in a little pup tent. <laughs> it looks, looks like a bomb went off inside it, you know, and he comes over and has coffee with me in the morning. But, uh, some of my other, you know, moose hunting partners, they'll just stay right with me in the teepee. And, you know, we've got all kinds of room for, for gear and cots and everything else. So I would say the eight man teepee with the wood stove has been a great combination for me and I've used it, you know, on my moose hunts I've I've used it you know on Kodiak Island uh for black tailed deer et cetera so it's uh it's one that's survived a number of different uh, type of trains and 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 hunts so it's one I definitely recommend.
1: Now what season is that TP exactly? Because you got the wood stove or you got you got a four season teepee or
2: well I uh so I've got a teepee and it also has a liner. So the liner provides some insulation because it creates an air gap between the liner and the outside uh, teepee fabric, and then um, and and basically one of the biggest advantages of having a liner is any condensation kind of falls off the teepee, goes on the liner, and then down to the sides. So you know at the end of the hunt when I when I take my teepee down, I'll, ha- I'll have this huge dry circle where my teepee was where everything else you know everything else is wet outside the teepee so it's it's worked really well and it and it's super lightweight it's really easy to pack down and and um you know there's there's other guys that use like a sawtooth which is kind of like a hybrid teepee uh, that isn't doesn't use quite a big a footprint if you will but uh i've just like the comfort i I mean, when I'm in there by myself, like if I'm going with Monty and he's in this pup tent and and I'm in my eight-man teepee, I'm like in a condominium. I mean, you got all kinds of space, so it's it's good to store wood in there and gear and everything else.
1: Yeah, I can imagine eight-man teepee. You could fit a small family in there and be pretty comfortable with gear. That seems pretty large.
2: Yeah, and you wouldn't, you don't necessarily need that, but the weight differential of uh, eight-man to say a six-man is minuscule so it's kind of like might as well be comfortable especially if you've got two guys in it i think an eight-man teepee is perfect for two guys
1: now for those that are going to listen to this and think oh, i might need to change my setup that are backcountry guys or guys that do camp a lot is there a specific brand teepee that you found over the years has just worked better for you or lasted longer easier to set up lighter all the benefits behind that? Is there a specific one?
2: Well, the one I've got, they don't even make anymore. I think the guy that uh, had the company passed away, but I've got a titanium goat teepee, but it's very similar to a Kafaru teepee. Um, I've heard really good reviews on seek outside teepees. So, you know, and all of them have, you know, advantages and disadvantages. So, you know, just understanding what's important to you. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, Kafaru or uh, seek outside, you, you can't go wrong.
0: That's good stuff. Hey, uh, also wonder just, you know, thinking about being in the backcountry for long periods of time, uh, water obviously is, it's gotta be filtered, you, you know, drinking water, that sort of thing. Do you have a preferred method or-
2: Yeah, so um, when I go moose hunting, what I like is it's a Cadyne base camp water filter. So it's essentially like a think of it like a a little bag that you put into the river or stream, fill it up. It's got a filter inside it, and then you just hang it in a tree and let gravity run the water through the filter. And I I bring these plastic collapsible containers. And just fill them up and then you've got all you know you've got all kinds of water so uh, I've, I've not been in a situation where trying to get two water has been a real issue but i do filter it you know using that catadine base camp i used to have a ms my first year when i went up there i had a uh, msr i think you know pump filter system and it was just it was a lot of work and this gravity feed one you can just Hanging in a tree, do other stuff, and then look at the container. And when it's getting close to full, you 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 pinch the hose to shut off the uh, shut off the filter. So that one works really well for me.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking you were doing something similar to that. I've, I've used the Sawyer Mini. Uh, I know other folks use that Grail deal. I know there's a lot of different um, you know brands out there. So I was curious as to what you were using. Obviously, that's that's something that's been tr- you know tried and true. Uh, so I'll have to check that one out.
2: Yeah, it's super easy. And then w- if I want to take water in my backpack when I'm when I'm going out, there's a uh, Canadine bottle that's got a you know filter in it as well. So I'll just fill that up and or dip it in the river and you know before I'm going out and then throw it in my pack. So and that it's got like a straw you you can you know sip on and it's taking the water right through the filter.
0: That's awesome. Are are you using a like a stove, a, a, a butane or propane uh, camp stove. Are you all cooking over uh, a campfire? Are you using you know no heat meals, or what are you doing for the most part?
2: Well, because of the weight being an issue, typically it's freeze dried you know, food, either Mountain House or Peak Refuel, or you know there's some other ones. Backpack, backpackers pantries, another one, but we're typically uh, using you know freeze dried food, but and in using a jet boil to boil the water. So it's pretty, I mean, that makes it super easy. Just fill up the jet boil, heat up the water, pour it into your freeze dried, you know, pouch. And, and you've got your, your dinner, your breakfast, whatever. But what I love is getting off freeze dried as soon as you can and cooking interior fillets of a moose over an open fire. So I love, you know, and I'm going to, Monty's not going with me uh, this year. Uh, so he's, he's typically my chef in camp. And uh, so, so we're uh, we're going to have to make do without him, but uh, I love cooking over an open fire.
0: I, I can imagine. So, and I bet that's always, you know, top of mind and, and the goal going into one of these things. It's, it's kind of uh, I guess, probably the fuel that keeps you going. Um, but, you know, you guys have it pretty well figured out and you have a good plan going into it. So to, you know, to, to, uh, better prepare yourselves for success. Um, uh, do you prepare physically in any way? Do you do any kind of like, uh, you know, w- whether it be something you do all the time or just in preparation for, for, you know, a hunt, is there anything you do in that?
2: Well, I'm in, uh, I would say I'm in pretty good shape all you know year round. But you know, prior to the hunt, you know i've I've taken fifty pound bags of salt, put them on my backpack with load sling, and you know hiked with it. Uh, so I've done that. Um, I've also done quite a bit of biking just to get kind of get the leg prep and the cardio. So nothing nothing super specific, but uh, just trying to stay in good shape year round, and then prior to the hunt, kind of building some muscle mass and doing some additional
0: cardio yes sir it is important i've, I've uh I'm, I'm a bit reluctant to to do the physical stuff as much as i should but you know having a, a group of guys or we all you know realize that's important and we keep, hold each other accountable is uh is, is you know a good thing and uh, it definitely helps with the hunting side of things but it also helps you know god forbid if you need to you know, run from something, um, you know,
2: <laughs> yeah. want a slow hunting partner. <laughs> yeah,
0: no doubt. No. <laughs> have you ever had anything like that happen to you in the back country? Uh, you know, uh, let's say in anything kind of unnerving, uh, you know, encounter with a bear or otherwise.
2: Well, like when that moose charged twice, that was probably, that was probably the closest I felt to, Yeah, I I've written my ticket and it's all over. But um I have been charged by a grizzly as well. So I was um if you if you want to hear the quick story on that, I can share with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So I was in Alaska moose hunting. I was on the side of the mountain glassing, and all of a sudden I saw this caribou running in my direction. And I could tell it was a it was a mature caribou, big white mane bull. And There's this little peninsula in front of me where, in front of my glassing spot, where animals like to travel to cross this back channel and go further back in the valley. And so I, you know, I thought he, this bull would run right on that peninsula. So I ran down the mountain, crossed the river, and the caribou ran exactly on the peninsula where I thought it was going to run, but it just beat me there. And so I finished crossing the river and I was taking off my waders. So I was bent over in the willow bushes and all of a sudden I just heard this, this big, you know, wolf and this smack. And I turned around and I just, I remember everything going in slow motion like you were in a car accident and seeing the left paw of this grizzly, you know, splashing the water, seeing beads of water going up in slow motion. And I, remember seeing his teeth and his jaws, and he was coming at me full speed, and I don't, I don't carry a, a handgun, so I just had bear spray, and I remember taking the bear spray off my belt and turning around, and again, everything's in slow motion, and then standing up, and as soon as I did that, that bear just put on the brake, stopped, and ran the other direction and i think what happened is it was running after that caribou and i got in between them and when i was bent over in the willows taking off my waders i think it thought i was the caribou and when i stood up realized oops that's not what i was after and ran the other way but um yeah i would i would tell you that that one it happened so fast i really didn't have any time to get nervous or even think about it, it. just everything was instinctive and spontaneous. and it just it just happened. And I remember when that grizzly bear ran off, I'm like, that was a grizzly bear. That was a grizzly bear. And you know that the the river at that point is only fifteen yards wide. And so it was it was a pretty close encounter and and one that fortunately, the caribou, the grizzly, and myself survived, but um, you know it was pretty exciting. But more exciting after after the fact versus you know it just happened happened so fast you really didn't have time to think about it. Yeah, that's man. <laughs> but that's but that's Alaskan. I love that because every year you go out there, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know you're going to have an adventure. I mean, there is something that's going to happen, and you're going to have an adventure. I, I remember I was on Kodiak. Uh, again, this was a, a drop hunt that that Monty, Wade, Job, uh, myself, and a guy named Brian Bowling were on. And I remember laying in my teepee and hearing Brown Bear walking, you know, 10 yards behind my teepee in this water and uh you know just realizing that you've got you know and then, and you're in your sleeping bag and you're like you know what do you got to do and you kind of you, you know it's got your attention but you're like you oh, know just please don't mess with this teepee and it's one of those things where you just uh you know, it, it could go bad and and maybe one of these years it will but uh so far i've been pretty fortunate I have quite a few encounters without any issues.
1: Are you making any type of changes to camp to bear proof it? You have any type of like electric fence that you're putting up the parameter or anything else to that sort?
2: Yeah, when I'm moose hunting, I don't use an electric fence um, around camp. Now, when we get a moose back on the airstrip and to the meat pole, then I'll put an electric fence around it there. But I Kodiak, when I do drop camps on Kodiak, that is the one place, um, based on the bear density and the aggressiveness of those brown bears, that is the one place where I'll actually put an electric fence around my camp, around the teepee. And um, it was look, a couple of years ago, I was doing a drop camp with Ben Penny. He's a dentist in Juneau, and we were on Kodiak, and we had the, we had the electric fence around the teepee. And we had seen brown bears, you know, throughout the hunt. In, in fact, we had one that we both saw ran right by our teepee. And, um, and so, anyway, we, we went to bed. We you know woke up the next morning, went out to go hunting in different directions, and I looked. It, it had snowed, and I looked. I was walking out, and I said, hey, Ben, come over here. And there was this huge brown bear bed 20 yards above our teepee. So he slept there, you know, right during the snow and, you know, the entire night right behind our right behind our teepee. And uh, and so we looked at each other and we're like, well, I guess he's just watching over us. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I love seeing the bears up there, you know, and in and the wolves and, and all the predators. But it, it's nice when they leave you alone, too.
1: I'm sure that next morning, that's when that's saying "ignorance is bliss." If y'all would have known that, probably been less sleep that night, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Now, when you go to Kodiak, you're mainly targeting caribou. You're not doing, going after any type of brown bear. Have you ever done a brown bear hunt with a stick bow?
2: Well, no, I haven't. So, I'm when I'm on Kodiak, it's uh, it's basically for Sitka blacktail deer. Um, okay. So brown bear, you know, you see brown bear all the time up there, but. But I like do-it-yourself hunts. And for brown bear in Alaska, for a non-resident, you need a guide. And so, <clears throat> so I, can't, I can't shoot a brown bear you know, on, a, on a DIY hunt. And I, you-, you know, I, a brown bear or interior grizzly, I've had, I've had interior grizzly in moose camp after I've killed the moose and we've gotten all the meat off it, come in on the carcass. And I've made stocks on, you know, interior grizzly, but again, I can't, I can't shoot them and and all that. And once they turn and look at you and you're, you're only 50 to 75 yards away and you can't do anything, you're like, well, maybe I'll just uh, call it good at this point.
1: That's completely understandable. That's awesome. It sounds like an exciting hunt. I'm sure it would be nerve wracking at the same time, especially first time showing up Uh, at a place like that just knowing what it's the reason it's uh is what it's known for right
2: oh yeah yeah and it's uh I remember one year I was on this was a um, Homer Ocean Charters I don't know if you guys are familiar with them but they do vessel-based hunts on Kodiak and I was up there with uh, a few friends but one of the guys was Johnny Karch from Three Rivers Archery and it was his first time on Kodiak and he was he was you know, asking a lot of questions about brown bear and all that, and uh, it was him, Kevin Barr and I, we were going out together and then we'd split up and, and hunt in the same general area. And Johnny kept saying, are there brown bears around? And Kevin would be like, no, they've already hibernate, hibernated by now because we were there in November. And uh, five minutes later, we see a big brown bear running right at us and uh i just started laughing because I'd, I'd been there multiple times before so i knew they weren't hibernating and uh it was just funny to see johnny's reaction when he when he saw that brown bear
1: <laughs> i bet i bet that was something uh, to be a fly on the wall in that situation <clears throat> yeah. just to see that i've heard that those vessel hunts that you eat really well is that true
2: oh man i'm i can't speak for all of them because i've only gone with gone with Homer ocean charters, but the meals are worth the price of admission. I mean, it's just, what I like is when you, uh, when you're out hunting, they're, uh, they're, you know, pull up crab pots. And when you come in and you see cardboard on the tables, you know, it's all you can eat, you know, crab. And so it's just, just outstanding. And, you know, there's advantages to DIY hunting, you know, a drop camp, and vessel-based hunts, but uh, the food is definitely an advantage for the vessel-based hunts, and and also being able to put all your gear in the engine room at night and and get it dry and warm for the next morning is a is a real bonus on the vessel-based hunts. And you don't have to worry about dealing with bears at night. You know, s- you know sleeping in a teepee, uh, being on the boat. So again, it's just they're they're different, and I I love them both and. It's just whatever you're more more comfortable with
1: yeah that hunt sounds exciting I'm sure it is wet being a coastal hunt right there on that island and I guess if you plan that trip to get in shape and be ready to put on the miles it doesn't matter because at night you're just gonna go back and eat yourself uh until you, <laughs> you fall asleep right
2: yeah that's exactly right so yeah, it's it's. I I love Kodiak. I'm actually going this year uh, back with Ben Penny. We're doing a drop camp, and then next year I'm going on uh, Homer Ocean Charters again. So, I like to mix it up, and they're they're both great adventures.
1: Hopefully, you got a big suitcase. I might end up in one of those. Sounds like <laughs> exciting trips planned.
3: So, Brian, I wanted to tell you about my experience. Um, over the past couple of years i've I've stuck with the stick bow Matt actually got me into it. and um, it has been a hard road i I'll, I'll tell you that and but it's been a fulfilling journey for sure. Um, uh, you know i I haven't really found much success with it, but um, the things that I've learned in my woodsmanship and uh, everything has improved, you know, I feel like i I'm more fulfilled and I feel like I'm a honestly a better hunter. Um, because I'll say simply because of how I have to hunt now. Yeah. Um, and you know, starting this journey, I don't know if I would have started if I would have known this, but now I'm in too deep and I've learned too much, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's definitely tough. And it gives you a lot of respect for the, the older generation that that's all they had. I know you talked about your dad, you know, he shot traditional archery, but back then I guess it was just archery, you know? Yeah. So, so that, that's awesome. What, um, what would, if you had any advice for, for someone getting into it, whether it be someone coming to one of your Compton shoots or, you know, anything like that, someone that's never done it, what advice would you, would you give them to get them, them started, you know, in the journey of traditional archery? Well, I, I think, you know,
2: traditional bow hunting and traditional archery is not supposed to be easy. And I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword and, you know, that's kind of the, the frustrating part about it, but it's also the most rewarding part about it when it all comes together. So I think, um, you know, I, and maybe this comes with, with age and having quite a few hunts under your belt, but I, uh, I really try to focus on the positives because bow hunting, it's, it's a, supposed to be tough and you can't beat yourself up. I mean, every stock isn't going to, you know, turn into a kill, you know, it's, you just have to focus on the positive aspects of that adventure and keep, keep, uh, you know, keep a positive attitude and keep grinding it. And, you know, the more time you spend in the field, the more experiences you have and the more uh, it, it almost equates into more opportunities you'll get and eventually it will come together. And when it does, it will be super rewarding. So I would just say, you know, be stubborn, be persistent, have perseverance and, you know, at some point it's going to come together. It took me, it was either four or five years for me to get my first deer, my first whitetail and, um, and so it it does, you know, I've I've got a lot of animals under my belt and I've had a lot of experiences and a lot of adventures, but um, you know, it it's it's not always easy. And I wouldn't want it any other way.
3: No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Because it does, it makes it so rewarding. Um, you know, I like a lot of other people, you know, kind of made the transition from younger hunting with a rifle and a compound to to finally this. And I guess, I guess this is where, this is uh, what I'm left with. You know, I don't know if there's anything I can, I guess I could pick up a spear if I wanted to, but I don't think <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But having that, uh, that, that mental drive is definitely a, a big part of, of what goes into it. And I think it definitely makes you a, a better hunter at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, I used to put a lot more pressure on myself than I do now. And and I don't know why that is, but, but to the extent you can remove that pressure from the hunting experience and just enjoy the environment you're in and the adventure you're having, you know, you don't walk away from a hunt unsatisfied, even if you don't, you know, come home with an animal. And so, you know, to the extent you can keep that pressure, you know, out of, out of your mindset and just enjoy the entire experience. You, know, you any adventure you go on you, you won
3: yeah that's absolutely right i would i would certainly uh, certainly agree with that um do you have any you have any um hunts planned other than your your um yearly alaska hunt
2: yeah so this this year actually in february i was in uh, south carolina and killed a killed a nice pig so i was happy about that and i'm actually going to be Later this month, I'm going to be in Georgia. Do you guys know Vance Henry?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We know Vance.
2: Okay, so I'm going to be hunting with him. Uh, I've got a business meeting actually uh, in Atlanta. And so right after that meeting, I'm going to hang out with uh, with Vance and do a little pig hunting in Georgia. And then I'll be turkey hunting in Michigan and Ohio in April and May. And then I'm going to Alaska for four times this year. So I'm going in June for primarily a fishing trip with Homer Ocean Charters. And then I'm going back with Homer Ocean Charters bear hunting in, in August. And then I'll do my moose hunt uh, in September. And then I'm going to Kodiak uh, for blacktail deer in November. And then I'll you know mix in whitetail from between October through January in Michigan and in
3: Ohio primarily. Wow, well, it sounds like your calendar's full for the year.
2: This is why I retired
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go I, I I think that's uh all three of our dreams, me, Matt, and Mike. yeah, I think that's um that's what we plan to do too. um yep. so one last thing before we close um being the president of compton, uh if someone was interested in becoming a potential member, uh how can they find out more information?
2: Probably the easiest way is go to our website, ComptonTraditionalBowhunters.com, and then there's, you know, there's buttons where you can click to to become a member and all that. So if you guys uh, ever have the opportunity to come up to the rendezvous, we've got that um, in June. It's Father's Day weekend in Berrien Springs, Michigan, and we've got thousands of traditional bow hunters from around the country coming in to enjoy that event. And it's really focused on the, it's very kid friendly, a lot of activities for the entire family and everybody has a great time. So I'd encourage you to, you know, check that out. So, but like I said, the the easiest way to find out information about Compton is just go to our website, ComptonTraditionalBowHunters.com.
3: Well, that's awesome. Well, Brian, it's, um, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um. If Matt and Mike don't have any more questions, I'm gonna close us in a in a quick prayer. Sounds great. All right, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to share this passion in the lands and the animals that you've created, Lord. Lord, please bless the game we chase and our efforts and the pursuit. Let us not forget to honor you and all the things that we do. I pray this in your heavenly name, amen. Amen. Thanks again. Thanks again, Brian. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Enjoyed it.